Welcome, children. Welcome to the Earth Wants You. I'm Reverend Billy here with co-host and director of the Church of Stop Shopping, Ms. Sapatry D. Hello, listeners. Well, we have one hell of a week with the uh, Kavanaugh-Ford standoff now kind of gone into the uh, FBI tracking down the gang-raping blackout drunk partners of Brett on the one hand. And on the other hand, the Immigration Customs Enforcement people are, are putting children in by the thousands into uh, concentration camps in the desert. Tent cities along the Texas border now could house as many as 12 or 13,000 separated children. And they um, are separated from their parents an average of 60 days. Okay, let's check that out. 60 days. A lot can happen in 60 days. Check it out for yourself. What, what have you done in 60 days? What takes 60 days? What can we do in the next 60 days yeah. to change... To change this development, this horrific, scarring, cruel breakup of families, um, nothing that many, many Americans want it to have happen. A group of gangsters are in control. Right, and they keep us guessing. They keep us hypnotized, right? This this spectacle, this this incredible showdown in Washington, D.C. over the Supreme Court nominee who is not suited for the office, clearly. We're all hypnotized by this. And meanwhile, you know, NAFTA, a new NAFTA goes through. Uh, separation at the border continues at, and it accelerates even. Uh, who knows what else? Trump destroying international relationships right and left. And we're and on top of that, a bunch of guys taking as much money as they can. Every day. Hiding every day. As fast as they every can. Every day that he's not impeached, millions more are going into various pockets. And you know, we have immigration and we have the Me Too movement. So we have immigration rights in the end. We, we, we have two um, movements, issues. And uh, today we'd like to talk about how they're the same thing. They're at different points on the same spectrum. How we have to understand the whole spectrum and not break off into colonies of the righteous. Right, or stop listening to each other. Ab- absolutely. Right. So we're going to talk uh, today to Nicholas Powers uh, and uh, ask him that very question. He's a, he's a writer and an activist here in New York. And... Um, we look forward to that. We will have, of course, a um, the music deporte coming right up. Did I mispronounce that? No, that's correct. That's the Spanish deporte. Uh, deporte. Woody of, Guthrie. Of a famous Woody Guthrie song. Uh, we have what's our uh, we we have our practice of listening, our new feature, where we listen to a human being talk about an experience, and by God, we don't interrupt. Is it possible? <laughs> we don't interrogate. We don't uh, create this third thing, which is what? Chuck Grassley looking over the rim of the counter. That's right. Defeat your <laughs> inner Chuck Grassley, people. <laughs> Defeat him. Your 87-year-old 
Iowa senator. Prison. Chuck, you're 86. <laughs> I'm 86 in you from We're my soul. 86 in you. And you are 86. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being 86. I wonder how Dr. Ford's doing. She's back in California now, or I wonder what she's doing. I don't know, but her life has changed forever, and we're grateful to her, and we hope that she's safe, and we hope that she is sleeping at night and spending time with her family and pursuing her work, which she has clearly done so much of in her lifetime. And the Mrs. Uh, Ramirez and Swetnick and just the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of people that are, that are coming out Listen, survivors out there, and I know there are so many of you, one in three women, one in six men, uh, don't isolate if you can help it. Find a way to talk about it. Yeah, let's get through this. Let's change. Let's let's, all of us, maybe we can, this can be a a healing opportunity. We need more of those. It changes you. It changes us. It changes our streets. It changes our stoops. It changes our life, our cities, our towns. And remember that most sexual violence is caused by like less than 5% of people, right? So even though one in three women have been sexually assaulted, it's not by one in three men. It's by about 5% of the male population. So try to forgive your brother and your father. They can't help it that they're men. And understand brothers and fathers you got to listen to the women in your life. Listen to them. Let's go to our first song. Deportee. Earth wants you, our deportee. What do you got to The crops are all in. The peaches are ruddy. The oranges are piled in their creosote dumps. They're flying you back to the Mexico border to pay all your money. Wait back again. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mis amigos. Jesus, Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. All of them call you BD My father's own father. They took all the money he made in his life. My brothers and sisters, they worked in your orchards, rode the big trucks till they lay down and died. Goodbye to my one, goodbye, Rosalita. Adios, mis amigos, Jesus Maria. You won't have a name when you ride. Skyplane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon A fireball, a lightning that shook all our hills Who are all these friends who are falling like dry leaves The radio said they're just deportees Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita Adios Jesus Maria You won't have a name When you ride the big airplane Oh, it will you Woody Guthrie's song there So you know, that plane There was a plane full of people On their way to be deported And it, it crashed, right? It 
crashed. Tell us the story. That's the story. And this song is a this song is Woody memorial to the yeah the people who died on that place bravery crash along the California Mexico border and uh, they were pickers a lot of them and farm workers and anyway just to say this problem is not new not a new problem but we haven't solved it at all uh, I have some news for all of you and you mean the news from the natural world. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls, may sound like an environmental blast from the past, having been banned worldwide in 2004 after scientists linked them to cancer, immune system, reproductive, and endocrine-related health problems in both people and animals. But new research suggests the pollutant, which entered mass production in the 1930s and was heavily produced in the U.S. up until 1978, may not have taken its final toll. Using an individual-based model framework and globally available data on PCB concentrations in killer whale tissues, the study shows that PCB-mediated effects on reproduction and immune function threaten the long-term viability of more than 50% of the world's killer whale populations. Oh, my God. The team listed whale pods in the North Sea and those around the Straits of Gibraltar as those most at risk because their PCB levels are highest. These populations may be extinct within 50 years. Populations of Japan, Brazil, Northeast Pacific Bigs, Strait of Gibraltar, and United Kingdom are all tending toward complete collapse in our modeled scenarios. So even though those PCBs have been banned, they continue to <coughs> affect Infiltrate. other species. Death rates for female pigs in the U.S. are rising fast. The mortality rate rose from 5.8% to 10.2% on farms owning more than 125 sows between 2013 and 16. Oh, gosh. This is hard to talk Overbreeding? about. Overbreeding? What was the problem there? An estimated 97% of the U.S.'s 73 million hogs are raised in closed barns or confined feeding operations. In these systems, sows often live the majority of their lives in gestation or farrowing crates that don't allow them to get up or turn around. In this system, the average sow produces 23.5 piglets per year, or 10 per litter, at a rate of 2.35 litters annually. After two to four litters, most sows tend to be replaced by younger gilts who can produce piglets at a higher rate. Uh, over the last few decades, sows have been bred to have less back fat because people don't want to eat as much fat, but we also want them to produce more and more babies, the scientists say, and that's not biologically possible. Their bones are weak and they don't have enough fat to support the reproductive process. We've bred them to their limit and the animals are telling us that. So these animals are experiencing extreme prolapse, which is when basically your internal organs just fall out including your cervix, your uterus, your anal tissue. Um, and this is what these pigs are dying of. 98% oh. yeah. <laughs> of Egypt's total area is desert, the country's Minister of Water Resources and Irrigation announced yesterday. Speaking at a press conference, he warned that water resources in Egypt face great challenges, including the population growth. Water-limited resources, the rivalry between the different sectors over the water, steadily increasing population, especially in the Delta area, and climate change and its negative impact on the country's share of the Nile River, represent the most significant challenges of water resources in Egypt. 97% of Egypt's water comes from outside the country. 
2% of Egypt is not desert at this time. If globally cycling rates can rise from their current level of 6% and just around 1% in the U.S. to around 14%, urban carbon emissions will drop 11%. You mean bicycling? Bicycling. Bicycling rates, if they just reached 14%, urban carbon emissions will drop 11%. That's a lot. Boosting walking would have similar benefits. But there is little evidence of these more human-scale endeavors on the main stage at the Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco last week. So, basic stuff here. Ride your bike. Ride your bike. Ride your bike. But they're not putting sidewalks into those new, new suburban That's streets. That's exactly right. So, this is all about building more human cities that where people can walk, where people can ride their bike. And we're doing pretty well in New York these days, I have to say. Thank you. It's a walking city. Thank you, activists, for your hard work. More than half of Slovenia... 53.6% to be exact consists of protected land. More than half of Slovenia is now protected land. Compare that to 30, 13%, 13% in the US. Slovenia is smaller than the state of New Jersey um, and has more than 40 regional parks and 20,000 different plants and animals and forests cover 60% of the land area. And if you've ever flown over Slovenia, not that I ever fly, but if I did fly, <laughs> when you fly over Slovenia, it is like a green jewel in the middle mm -hmm. of Europe there. It is incredibly wild. Okay, and on the other side of the world, <clears throat> a Brazilian rainforest is now being called an extinction vortex. Since colonization in the 16th century, the forest, the Amazon Atlantic rainforest, uh, that's a specific forest, has been reduced from over 1.1 million square kilometers or 420,000 square miles to a measly 0.143 square miles, square kilometers. So basically it's been reduced from 420,000 square miles to 0.06 square miles. I didn't even know there was such a thing as 0.06 square miles, but there is. And there's no doubt as to the cause of this destruction. Human activities, farming and logging. So now we have a new phrase in our lexicon, the extinction vortex, a scientific phrase for what has happened in this rainforest where virtually no species are thriving. The notoriously wicked weather of the Southern Ocean recently spawned what researchers are declaring was the largest wave ever recorded in the Southern Hemisphere. On the evening of May 9th, a weather buoy moored near Campbell Island, an uninhabited sub-Antarctic island of New a, a Zealand. A weather balloon? What was a that? A weather buoy. Buoy. Detected a wave measuring 78 feet tall during the passage of a fast-developing low-pressure weather cell. The measurement eclipses the previous record for wave height in the Southern Hemisphere, which was a 63-foot wave detected in 2017. The buoys are giving researchers unique insights into the incredible storms that rage through this poorly studied part of the world. Now, just keep in mind that that's just a wave that happened to pass by that buoy. It doesn't mean there haven't been waves much bigger at other places where there is no buoy. Uh, some 50 million years before humans figured it out, agriculture arrived in the world in a seemingly unlikely place, the ant hill. Eschewing wheat or rice for feathery white fungus, the ants cultivated a fungal crop, providing it with care in exchange for nourishment. But like their human counterparts who would come after them, the ants faced the perennial problem of crop disease 
in this case a parasitic fungus, which threatened to wipe out their harvests. So the ant farmers evolved another partnership. They offered safe harbor and nutrition to a certain group of bacteria, the actinobacteria, that in turn produced antibiotics capable of keeping the parasite at bay. To help the bacteria stick around, the ants' exoskeletons evolved specialized pockets, little pockets, that protected and fed <laughs> their partners. So they were feeding the fungus an antibiotic. So that the so the fungus would thrive and not get killed by the parasite. Amazing. Okay, violent video games played by adolescents definitely associated with increases in physical aggression over time. Meta-analysis just released incontrovertible evidence. Violent video games lead to aggressive behavior, in particular and especially in white males. Hello. White males? Why are you looking at me? Don't play violent video games. Keep your kids away from them. This was a study over seven years, 17,000 participants, ages 9 to 19 years old, 24 separate studies around the world. People. Well, what about the common sense uh, experiment? You know? Sadly. That takes 30 seconds. and It's also... It's obvious. There's news this week that uh, just 5% of children in the US have this perfect triangle of less than two hours of media, more than nine hours of sleep, and one hour of physical exercise. Amen, that's okay. our, that's Lena, our daughter. I'm happy to say Lena falls into that 5%, but of course we are you know, privileged with our upbringing and the things that we know and the experiences we've had, and we're not afraid to not have a television, and I encourage all of you to give yourself permission to throw that thing out the window. I don't wanna be called privileged anymore. I'm, I'm sick of that. I'm, I'm getting rid of my privilege just as fast as I possibly can. Good job. Good job, baby. You Keep know, it up. Keep it up. I'm jobless. And I'm, speaking you know, of privilege, why don't we call... drifting down the sidewalk. Why don't we call... Why don't we call Nick and... Uh, Let's ask Nicholas Let, let him explain that to us a little bit better. That extinction vortex. I, I kind of I feel it around here somewhere. It's... So uh, we have uh, Nicholas Powers here on the phone with us. Welcome back to the show, Nick. It's good to, to be with you. I understand that since we last spoke to you, you've had a, a, a new spirit enter your life. Yeah, his name is True. And he's looking at me right now. And he's like, Daddy, who are you talking to? Is so his name true? Is, his name is going to be yeah, True Powers? True. His name is going to be yeah. True Powers. Wow. Yeah. That's... Great. It's a lot to live up to. True powers is is a is a is a new kind of power that isn't uh, <laughs> isn't abusive. So Nick, you've just wrote an essay about toxic white rage, masculinity, and uh, you know, we've been talking a lot, obviously, the last week or so about these issues from another angle. And uh, you know, I asked Billy last night. I said, "Why aren't the men organizing all the protests? Why aren't the men out on the street?" asking things, demanding change on behalf of women too. Like there are men out there, but I don't think there's enough men out there. This is for everyone, right? So I'm going to step out of this conversation and you and Billy are going to, you know, take it where you will. Uh, thank yeah. you for being on the show today. No, thank you. Oh. That's good. Hey, Reverend. Hey, Nicholas. <laughs> I just, you know, Savagey like setting us up like that and just leaving. <laughs> you know, I... Know. I I have the sensation that you know she's she's given us boxing gloves and left us on on the prairie, you know, just to be men for a minute. And 
try to figure this out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I hear that. We we uh, at the top of the Earth Wants You hour, uh, we confronted uh, uh, the major the major news of the moment uh, the the Dr. Ford Brett Kavanaugh uh, face off of a couple days ago, and then the uh, internal deportation of 13,000 children to concentration camps in the desert here in the United States, breaking up families. Uh, so the uh, uh, two issues uh, both involve male rage, both involve mm, yeah. uh, um, the, the possibilities uh, uh, from the uh, election of Donald Trump, of course, but but um, in another way of looking at it that I'm thinking about is is they're not they're on the same they're on a spectrum of the same issue, and yes, and yes. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm wondering if we can find ways to um, have more crossover between the, the activists in the two camps, have more communication, more common language being developed. You having that kind of feeling from recent developments? I do. And when I was looking at Donald Trump defends um, Kavanaugh, that it seemed the polar opposite of how he started his campaign. And how he started his campaign was saying um, that uh, the Mexico is not sending its best people. They're sending drug dealers. They're rapists. Uh, later on in his campaign, he said China is raping America, raping our economy, and and then finally he had this kind of um, twisted Aesop fable of a snake and this kind of naive in the story a naive woman takes a snake home and it bites her on the chest and she says why did you do it you know the snake is supposed to be a symbol of the immigrant and uh, the snake said because it's in my nature right and so you have this image of the United States as a, a woman who needs to be protected from the, the kind of sexualized dangers of the other. You know, here it's the, the Mexican rapist or China's uh, right. economy or, or her own naivete of, of wanting to be nurturing and maternal to an immigrant. It turns out to be ISIS and blow something up. Why did you bite me? Why did you blow up my bridge? Why did you shoot us? You know, it's in my nature as a <laughs> Muslim Arab, you know. Oh and God. so... There's this, there's this image, a consistent theme in Trump's rhetoric. It goes actually way, way back to um, the Central Park Five days, uh, the 1980s. Yes, uh, yes. Where um, the jogger. Know, these, yeah, the jogger. Oh. It was a, a young woman uh, jogging, white woman who's jogging in Central Park, which Mayor Koch said was like holy sacred ground, uh, which basically is his way of saying that's like upper class, middle class stomping grounds. That's, that's for the for the elite to feel safe in the in the city. And when the the young Latino and black boys were uh, forced and coerced into, um, you know, confessing to a crime they did not commit, um, they, you know, Trump said that they should be executed. And uh. again, what you see is this: there's this kind of, um, you know, for Trump's like, you bet I want those guys dead. And so he likes to perform this kind of Rambo Braveheart rage when he thinks the the kind of white feminine upper class body is being violated by some outside colored other religion other right. man 
outside force, you know, and, you know, stranger danger. So that's coming in. But the way and so that you see that in the way that, you know, um, how, how, did, how did that contrast with uh, his his uh, how did, how, with Kavanaugh with his well, that, uh, statement the other day? Well, this is the thing is that so when it's the it's the, this kind of like white feminine upper class body where they're actually specific or kind of symbolic that he's very protective. But then when it comes to um, this homosocial, this kind of male, straight male bonding with, you know, other men who then use women as objects, right. that same body then becomes an object or receptacle for their rage, for their confusion, for their desires. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like... Um, so the woman is, a, is the, receiving the violence from both directions. Yeah, she really is, you know, and on one end, you know, he's, you know, he imagines himself protecting this kind of feminine America, but as long as it stays in its place, as long as it's a good woman, right? right? Um, But then if it's, you know, uh, a bad woman who's drinking or out alone or not under the kind of chaperone of a family or a man, then she's like a free target. And then she's a bad woman. And then, you know, whatever happens to her happens to her. And that's kind of like a, a typical patriarchal um map of femininity you know and i would say a kind of toxic masculinity map of of womanhood but then taking it to immigration for just a moment he he breaks up families he he separates husbands from from wives and he he separates parents from children and he does it in broad daylight yeah tries to hide it but it always gets out and now he's got children in tents under the under the hot sun yeah. Surrounded by cyclone fences and guns, the gunned guard, gun, armed guards, uh, the defense of uh, the white-skinned woman uh, from everything that comes across the border, uh, but then internally, um, internally, he's acting exactly like the the criminal exactly. that he's pointing his finger at. He's 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 the rapist. So the connection is that he's projecting onto the immigrant other, on whether it's China's economy, the, the Mexican undocumented worker, his own sexual aggressiveness. Yeah, his own porno, his own. Yeah, he's projecting on them, you know, a, a snuff film, a porno. He's projecting it onto them. It's not really who they are, but it's who he is. And it's who, how some of the men in his class and his milieu behave. Well, the violence uh, uh, is initiating so much of the action, and that's what made Dr. Ford such a relief, was she took the violence and then stepped in front of it and was, yeah. was very much a peaceful person. Uh, she was interested in the facts. She was constantly qualifying herself and uh, being specific with what she was saying, and it was, you know, it was violence from 40 years ago. But it was uh, it was her gentleness that was basically initiating the 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 uh, the action at that point. It was it was a gentle woman who was initiating the action, and I felt such a relief. I, f- I felt yeah. oh, it's been so long since we had that, and then of course just a few minutes later, here comes Brett, screaming and shouting, "This circus! You're you're raping me! You're you're you know you 
You're ruining me. And my, and my 10-year-old is praying for Dr. Ford. And my, my parents are right here in the room. And just, I mean, he just came back with, with uh, uh, you know, his, his counter-argument, just pure rage. I, do you think that he, do you think they, that he won the day? Do you think he won the day? Do you, he took Trump's script. Do you think he? Do you think he's going to win with this, his approach? Well, there's two things. I, I've noticed that uh, Trump believes in aggression as the deciding factor in almost any kind of relationship. So um, he's, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said repeatedly, you know, you have to strike hard, you have to be tough, you know. So for him his public persona and statements is that you have to be a, you know, tough deal maker. And when, and there was some report where he said that when these kind of accusations come out, you have to deny, 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 and, and then attack, attack, attack. So it seems that Kavanaugh took that script right. and, and ran with it at, you know, at the hearing. Now, is it going to win? Um, the latest poll shows that, Republican women, the their yes. approval of Kavanaugh dropped like eleven percent, which is kind of think beyond the margin of error. It's, it's something dropped, mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know many of them because sexual violence crosses class lines, geography, ethnicity. Um, it's probably one of the sad universal facts. Um, so that you know women who have known sexual violence in their own life to some degree are looking at this. And um, and are seeing how, you know, Kavanaugh is in a sense kind of repeating the same violence and denial that they themselves have felt in their lives. And so the approval finally is dropping. Um, but I'm also I have to be hesitant because it seems like um, I wonder it's because of who she is and how she presented herself. And what is it about her that made it made her eligible for the kind of conservative women to feel sympathetic towards her, whereas before, when other women, like say Stormy Daniels, is it because she's a porn star, is it because she's a sex worker, um, is did that make her not eligible for the sympathy of conservative women? It was her class. Oh. It was yeah, her, it's a it class. Was her class, race, her glasses, her hair, yeah. <laughs> her uh, posture. She had that that kind of breaking voice. Well, the uh, uh, she was she was sort of perfectly cast for her role, and I found I just found myself being so grateful. I felt I felt like lives are being saved as she spoke. Can mm-hmm. I just jump in and ask you what you thought about the racial performance of like Brett Kavanaugh, like from from that perspective? I mean. If a if an African American man sat there in that position and got that angry, we would read it a totally different way, right? And I think that's really compelling too. In the same way that we give uh, her a lot of credence as a white woman in this culture, right? She gets a lot of gravitas, right? Um, yeah. And I just wonder about that too because I I've rarely seen um, a judicial nominee yell. I thought judges weren't supposed to be emotional, right? It's like uh, but all that was anyway, what are your thoughts about that? The racial performance there? Yeah, there, I mean, that's the thing with ideologies is a story that is in the background and it's, it's a story against which all the other stories rebound against like a trampoline 
against which they kind of make sense or don't make sense. And so you have, you know, the caricature of like the, the black brute or the kind of um, uh, the, the overly sex Latino, um, you know, or, um, you know, the geisha Asian woman. So you have like, you know, these caricatures, these kind of social right. images that are trafficked. And so, yeah, if it was a man of color and that caricature is in the backdrop, um, he couldn't get angry because that would activate subconsciously the kind of racial bias that people have, the background story. They'd be like, oh, that fits the story. Well, I've known that story. Clarence, you know, Clarence Thomas accused his his uh, opponents of lynching him. Yeah, and what he did is there's the other kind of social image that comes from American history, which is of black people being victims of white violence. And, you know, that's, again, part of the background history, that the, the larger story that we all know. And so he, you know, very shrewdly tapped into that because if he had gotten, you know, overly angry and shouting like Kavanaugh did, then people would have been like, whoa, Clarence, we didn't know you were like Sug Knight. But and if he can say, I'm being lynched, all of a sudden people feel this incredible empathy and sympathy and or at least it deflects some of the suspicion. They're like, oh, he's a victim, like black people who are being lynched are victims. And that's why he uses those rhetorical kind of gimmicks. But there's Anita um, Hill sitting there, this completely graceful, articulate, sophisticated woman, black woman. I have uh, a question for both of you. I guess my question uh, to you, Reverend Billy, and to you, Nick Powers, about like, how do men talk about this amongst themselves? Like, I know I have this conversation with men, and I know I have this conversation with women, but do men talk about this amongst themselves? Do you talk about the problem of sexual violence? You talk about, you know, does it come up in male conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, we all have, we all have Brett Kavanaugh friends that we remember. Mm. You know, we always, there, there were those guys always around. I remember uh, at the University of Wisconsin, the Badgers. <laughs> we were the Badgers. That's the name of our football team. And oh, there were yep. always those guys. Nick, what, what, where did you, uh, what extinction vortex did you come from? <laughs> so I, I went to this um, a school in Pennsylvania. It's called uh, Hershey. And uh, the team was the Spartans, you know. Um, and, you know, it was out there in the flatlands of Pennsylvania, the Boondocks, and, you know, and, and so, yeah, you knew both then and then in college, there were, most of the guys actually were, were just decent and for the most part confused, but trying in good faith to figure out, like, what does romance mean? You know, what is desire? How does it work? Um, but then, damn, man, like, yeah, there were sometimes these predators or people who were very careless and mean. Um, and you know what's odd is that um, men would not only talk about that with other men, but we would talk about that with the women in our lives. And so mm -hmm. uh, we would warn, say, our niece or our sister or our, just our friend, hey, be careful about that guy. Or if you saw them kind of walking off alone together, sometimes you would hurry up and join them. And he would be very frustrated because he felt like you were cock blocking him. But you were there because you wanted to kind of be there, be safe, uh, watch out, right. maybe separate them. And people do those little maneuvers all the time if there's someone that you can't trust. Um, so there, there's a constant kind of surveillance that men do of each other. I think sometimes it's hard, though, for men to talk about 
sexual violence um, um, openly because then there's this kind of like it's almost like the police is like this kind of you know this kind of blue coat of silence, this blue line. Yeah, and so sometimes, right? Killing. Did you want to say something yeah. over there? With yeah, no, I I speak of the silence a bit, yeah. and like I do think that that maybe amongst each other people do say, oh, watch out for that guy, or you know, be careful with this guy. But certainly, um, talking to the perpetrators is fairly absent. I think that it's often in my friend groups uh, growing up, it was kind of like an unspoken understanding that was never fully dealt with and you know I think there's there's friends of mine well you know I wouldn't say friends but people I grew up with still walking around today probably um you know treating women with uh scant regard for their autonomy and they're, they're still doing it and I think I am guilty right now of not dealing with that and I think that yeah sure we do you know talk about it amongst each other and specifically with women but not with the perpetrators and they're just going to keep walking around doing that until that happens, till that conversation happens. And you're about to go back to Dublin. Oh, yeah. So you can call into the radio show. <laughs> I've, I've go got on a him. rampage. I've got Sean. I've got him cornered in the saloon here. <laughs> a new segment. Well, I want to. Um, I know that we're getting to the end of our, our, uh, our allotted time here, Nick, and it's uh, such a subject, you know. It's just such a subject. Uh, when we have, when we have our Shakespearean play in the foreground involving our friends and our, our lovers or our would-be lovers, and you know, uh, there's violence, uh, there's disrespect uh, towards uh, someone that is perceived as weaker. Um, that goes on. That goes on from the immediate, the immediate family, the immediate story with characters, with human being characters in the foreground, that goes on and that goes out. And what we're seeing is that is that the violence in the foreground is also is is also violence against the earth. And mm. violence against the um the life forms. Violence against we just had an amazing uh news item today about about the violence against um, sows, female hogs, in in the uh, in the industry of making bacon, and uh, uh, the we do feel we have these flashes of understanding that it's all one issue, that violence is violence, and being peace activists uh, in this day and age, when we want to save our lives and leave an earth for our children, you're a, a new father. Um, we have to have language that goes across issues. We see immigration, and we see the Me Too movement, and we see these two issues, and they're each developing their own their own words, and uh, their own you know pots of money, and their own collections of lawyers, and you know how issues grow. Um, the, the but when we have a uh, a tsunami coming over the rooftops. All those issues have to be one issue. We, when we have a Donald Trump showing up with his guns, you know, about to kill us, we have to all, we can't be divided, as we always are on the left. Um, so I, where am I going right now? Well, Nick, Nick like say something. Can, the thing that connects all of that to me is uh, the mental process of objectification. Because... Um, 
in all the main forms of, of dominance and hierarchy and oppression, the engine that drives it is the mental process of objectifying someone else or of objectifying a, fl a fluid uh, flow of energy. Mm. And so, you know, for capitalism, um, you know, the worker is an object that you buy or you, or you sell. You know, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. commodities are an object that you buy or you sell. The earth is an object that you buy or you sell. In male supremacy, women are objects that are land and territory. Like a woman is an object like a house or your land, and that you have to protect it from stranger danger, China, Mexico. Um, or a woman is like a, a, a toilet for your orgasms, and you can just flush orgasms down her, her body because you don't care. She's an object. In racism, you know, the, the, the person's skin color or eye shape or hair texture is objectified into an animal caricature. So their bodies literally become objects and symbols. And all of that, the flow of life, the reality of life, it just flows through people, the empathy, the way that we tell each other stories through our eyes and the tone of our voice, our body language, you know, the way that earth tells us stories and the way that clouds uh, bring down too much rain upon a city and drown people or the floods overwhelm the levees um, or the way that the deserts spread like a scab across land or the way the trees are going up in smoke that like all of all of that is a flow of reality and and reality is going to flow no matter what but when you have a system that profits from the objectification of land or of sex or desire or our bodies or our thoughts um, it tries to stop that flow and so we're, we're left holding these ice cubes in our hands with price tags and frozen inside. And that's supposed to be our meal. That's supposed to be our, our life. Wow. But, you know, the reality thank of life is, is flowing. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your thoughts Nick, and your wonderful language you. today. Thank you. Oh, I'm giving you guys a hug. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Take that's care of that truth. That's, that's where the objectification has to be dissolved is the hugs. Love, hallelujah. Let's go. <laughs> Radical love. Thank you. Take Thanks, care. Nick. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to True for us. All right. Hi, Jim. Say goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye now.
was the Stop Shopping Choir. Thank you, Stop Shopping Singers. And now I, Reverend Billy, must bid you adieu. I'm going off to Trump Tower to do a little bit of activism. Hope it works. Be careful out there, Rev. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Adieu, adieu. Love a Lucia. saying goodbye. Ciao, adios. Rev is off to Trump Tower to cause some trouble, and uh, we're here in the studio, and I want to introduce a new segment, uh, Learning to Listen, which some of you may have experienced last week when we heard the stories of several women uh, in the context of the Kavanaugh hearings, and uh, so we're going to work on that every week for a while until we all get a little bit better at listening. Now, just try to listen Try not to think too much. Try not to respond in your mind. Just listen as best you can. Hi. How you doing? My name is Barbara, and um, I grew up out on Long Island, and um, I guess I'm going to tell my story. It's really kind of difficult for me to um, do this because it brings up too much um, really bad vibes for me. I think um, when I was a little girl, I had a um, I lived in a foster family, and um, I had brothers that were of high school age. And I remember the first time, like, I'm seeing them hanging out, and they had something sticking out of their pants, and they told me to come over and touch it. And I asked them, what was it? And they said it was a hot dog. And they was looking at each other, like, you know, giggling to each other and stuff. And that's where it started. And um, after that, I grew older, and uh, I ran away once, and um, this guy picked me up, and he, I was 12 years old, and he asked me to give him a hand job, and I was terrified, but I did it. And I was very lucky that he ejaculated before he was able to enter me. So I was able to stay a virgin for a couple more years. Then by the time I was 16, my foster father, who was, I thought, my friend, my protector, the person that, you know, if I had any trouble with in life, I could go to him. And I thought he loved me. He was like my prince, whatever. And um, he totally destroyed that trust by molesting me when I was 16. And um, I think, you know, I've, got, I've gotten raped a few times after that. But I think the molestation hurt me worse because it was somebody who really, I really trusted and loved. And after that, I just felt like I can't trust anybody anymore. You know, I feel almost fear, like like a feral cat, where you know, like all right, like I'll I'll be able to hang out with somebody sexually because you know get something out of it, but I can't really identify it with love because all my first experiences with sex was people trying to abuse me. I'm watching, you know, watching that whole Kavanaugh thing. And, like, I know how it was when I was in school, and, like, you know, these guys, they feel like they had all this entitlement that they could do whatever they wanted mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. You know? And um, 
it's just like um, I went on a date with this rich guy, mm-hmm. and um, he thought that he was going to be able to um, get something from me. And when I wouldn't, he was like, well, it doesn't matter. I don't like him anyway. I just want to see what it would be like to be with a black girl. You know, it's just like stuff like that. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, I, I, would t- I would tell anybody, I mean, it's hard, though. I mean, it's really hard. I held in the whole thing about my foster father nursing me for years. I didn't tell anybody until, like, at least, like, 15 years later after going to therapy. And when I finally came out and told my family and told my friends, I was, it was like, I was a bad person. Mm-hmm. I had cause, like, oh, he would never do that. He's always been such a nice guy. Like, you're the one who has problems. You're the one who lives in your free world, you know? So it's like, it's you. Mm-hmm. And I just learned, like, I can't say, I can't be honest and talk about mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Because, like, nobody cares. Right. Because, like, if you talk about things about, like, um, you know, you're being abused and stuff. You know, nobody wants to hear that. It's not going to have everything all nice and happy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or they think of you as just a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I'm just tired of it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, that's why we can't, we can't say anything. Because, like, you know, we're treated like I'm not a criminal. Yeah. You know, so it's like, stop, you know, we're doubly abused. We can't run, yeah. you know. It's it's like um, you can't win. I I I don't know what else to say. That's great. It's thank just... you for sharing that. I mean, thank you for talking to us, and thank you for your honesty and your openness. And we are listening to you and and believe you and care about you. And and um, I'm I'm sorry for all of that. Welcome back, listeners. How is your listening going? How's it going? You're getting better at that? We're so grateful to these people for sharing their stories with us. It's brave, courageous, and helps us all. Uh, And now uh, Extinction's Got Talent. Today, because there's just been so much sad news about Extinction, I I just can't. I can't. So we're going to go out today on the sounds of distant thunder beautiful storms of nature coming to us and this from the amazing work of Bernie Krause we've taken into our souls and bodies uh, horrific the horrific uh, experiences we're having right now on this earth. Uh, but I think that's a part of what we have to do. But the, uh, the violence is, um, is, is answerable. We have peace. We each have peace in us. The, our, the peace that we have in us, we carry with us. It's, it's the strongest part of our 
of our genetic life. No matter how we've been beaten, no matter what crimes we've committed or witnessed committed or been committed against us, uh, that peace is there. We have to remind each other. You have peace in you that is waiting to be, that is waiting to come to the surface and to be a part of our, our community, be a part of our family. And then that objectification that, that um, Nick Powers talked about today, those horrific extinction vortexes that we, that we heard about in the news from the natural world, these, uh, these crimes against life uh, have, a, have something surrounding them. The peace of Luya comes around them. And the people, the people show up um, and give love. And, they, and we give love to each other easily. We're sure of our love. The opposite of stranger danger is stranger love. We, we, we volunteer. We don't wait for a professional assignment. We can't. Because the earth, the earth and our families, our, our children are in danger now. So we have to, we have to be ready. We have to have our, our love in a state of imminence, in a state of activating now, hearing the call now. That is happening all the time. Oh. Love a everyone. Have a good week. This is Reverend Billy signing off. Savitri D. Love a Rev. Thank you. Thank you. The Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D. with Reverend Billy, our producer, Killian Sunderman. We're here in Brooklyn, New York at the Commons Cafe, The Earth Wants You. You can find us anywhere. Please spread the word. Grow our listenership as you grow your own listenership. Grow our listenership as you grow your own listenership, if you know what I mean. And I know you do. Thanks for listening.